This morning we start a new series on the Psalms, and uh, this, uh, for me to even do a series on the Psalms, uh, need to let you know it's, it's been quite a journey for me. Uh, before I got married, I had a roommate that, uh, is, he was uh, on staff with me at the church that we were serving together in, in Wichita, and, and Craig Curry's his name, and he loved the Psalms. He read a psalm every single day, and one time we were having a discussion over lunch, and I said, I said what, is, what is the deal with you and the psalms? And he said, he said they're, they're fantastic, they're wonderful. I looked at him, and I said, I said, I think the psalms are nothing but a bunch of whiners. I don't find them enjoyable at all. And then Craig looked at me and said this, I'll pray for you, and that's the way he left it. But his point was, the psalms are rich. There's so much in there that, uh, that, that you can't help but be fascinated by how rich they are. And now in my life, over the course of the last few decades, I've been profoundly impacted by the Psalms. And I thought it appropriate as we wrap up the Kingdom of God series, as we wrapped that up last week, and we, we, we now transition, and not even a transition, but, but so often the things that we forget about is we desire to have God reign in our lives fully and completely. Oftentimes we forget that he understands us fully and completely. We sit there and think that perhaps we have gone too far astray that he doesn't want to have anything to do with us or, or we think that perhaps we're, things are going so well we don't really need him. The entire spectrum of emotion is, is, is what we experience in life and I thought it appropriate to simply share a few quotes from you from, from various psalms as we begin this series. The first one is found in Psalm 34. It says this, The righteous person may have many troubles. So often it's tempting to think that if we're doing the righteous thing that we're not going to have any issues, but yet the psalmist understands that that's not the case at all, and we understand that to be true as well. Psalmist also has great wisdom in it when it says this, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit that they have made. That's found in Psalm 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me. We understand the depth of the pain that, that, this, that the psalmist experienced because we experience that sometimes. We all have hidden places in our lives. We have blind spots, and the psalmist addresses it by saying this, but who can discern their own errors? And they said this, forgive my hidden faults. There are things in our lives that we're not even aware of are a fault, and yet God cares for us so much that he's willing to help us see those things. And then rise up and help us because of your unfailing love. His love never fails. He's able to pick us up. He's able to take care of us. And then the psalmist in Psalm 144 says this, Praise be to Yahweh my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. From Psalm 1 to Psalm 50, we encounter life, and we encounter a God who cares for us. The Psalms are prayers of yesterday that we desperately need for today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or to get there on your app on your phone to Psalm 1, and we read these words. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. 
but whose delight is in the law of Yahweh and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, that we can see the truth of your word that you would open our ears, that we could hear what it is that you have to say to us through these prayers that were echoed or uttered long ago. We pray that you would open our minds so that we can understand how you interact with us in the midst of everything that happens in our lives. And we pray that you would open our hearts, that we would be transformed so that we can truly be trees that are like, that are right there being fed by your living water flowing through our lives. Lord, may no one hear anything that I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear and desire them to hear. And Lord Jesus, may you receive all glory, for you are the one that we desperately need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So why the Psalms? What makes the Psalms so spectacular a few quotes that are going to come up on the screen real quick, and, and I, thought they, I thought them very appropriate. One of them is by this guy by the name of Rolf Jacobson. He says this, One of the reasons that the Psalms are so beloved is that they express the full range of human emotions before God. However you're feeling in life, whatever you're experiencing in life, the good and the bad and the in-between, God understands that. He invites you to interact with Him. And then another quote from a rather important person by the name of Martin Luther. He says this, The Psalms might well be called a little Bible. In it is comprehended most beautifully and briefly everything that is in the entire Bible. In fact, I have a notion that the Holy Spirit wanted to take the trouble himself to compile a short Bible and book of examples of all Christendom or all saints so that anyone who could not read the whole Bible, would have anyway almost an entire, su- entire summary of it composed in one little book. Martin Luther said that. That's how great the Psalms are. That's how wonderful the Psalms are. And, and he even went so far as to say that everything that's, that's necessary in the Bible, that's, that's in the Bible, is contained here. This incredible God who loves us, this incredible God who sacrifices for us, this incredible God who understands us entirely, it's all wrapped up in these 150 psalms. And then one of the things that struck me as I've, as I've studied the psalms over the years is this, is that they may be thousands of years old, but they speak to us as if they were commenting on today. So often people want to say, well, the Bible was written thousands of years ago, and it doesn't really have any relevancy to today. Yet as we will see over the course of time and over the course of this series, we will see this to be true, that the same things that we struggle with today, yes, they may be a little different, but the same struggles we have have been going on for a long time. 
And so we come to Psalm 1, and, and Psalm 1 is placed there, and I believe there's intentionality behind Psalm 1 being the first psalm that we read. The, the Psalm 1 lays out how we are to approach the rest of the psalms. The psalms give us, this psalm gives us instruction, in essence, on how we can approach the rest of the psalms, how they can impact our lives. And it's a step-by-step process. Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. What we're about to say to you is not that profound. As a matter of fact, it's rather obvious. To get anywhere, you must take the first step. No destination happens without you taking a step. But so often we're afraid to take that first step. We see a goal far off and we say, well, eventually I'm going to get there, but we don't take the step. We just don't take the step. Thomas Edison's teacher said he was, quote, too stupid to learn anything, unquote. He was fired from his first two jobs for being, quote, unquote, non-productive, As an inventor, Edison made 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. When a reporter asked him, how did it feel to to fail 1,000 times? Edison's reply was this, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. Fred Smith, the founder of Federal Express, received a C on his college paper detailing his idea for a reliable overnight delivery service. His professor at Yale told him, quote, Well, Fred, the concept is interesting and well-formed, but in order to earn better than a C, than, to earn better than a C grade, your ideas also have to be feasible. Needless to say, Fred Smith kept moving forward. The psalmist understands that in life we take steps. The psalmist understands that as we take these steps, we are either moving in a direction that is restoring us and refreshing us, or we're moving in a direction that is destroying us and destructing us. And he immediately goes to that by saying these words, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. The psalmist understands that that the company we keep speaks volumes to us. One of the things that I experienced as a father of two daughters was, was I had the privilege of going out with my daughters once a week on dates. They so impacted my daughters that they don't remember them very well. But I still went out on a date every single week with my daughters. Well, okay. Yeah, I'm glad you do. Um, But there was one particular date that I would have with my daughters, and and Stephanie is two years older than than Heidi, and and so as Stephanie was getting ready to go to junior high, and then when, when Heidi was getting ready to go to junior high, I knew this. I knew this, that on this particular discussion, I need to address three big issues for them. Because things were about to change. I had done youth ministry for 22 years, and I had made some observations about what happens in junior high through college. And I understood that things are going to radically change. And so with Stephanie and with Heidi, 
these were the three things that I discussed. The first item that I discussed with them was this, was that Dawn and I expected them to do their best, to do their absolute best. And whatever activity that they were going to pursue, whatever classes they had, they were expected to do their best. And I've made it very clear that doesn't mean that we expect straight A's. It means we want you to do your best. And if doing your best meant you came home with a B or a C, or doing your best meant that you didn't make varsity or you didn't make it this way or that way, that's okay. We just want you to do your best. Mediocrity was not acceptable. Do your best. That was the first item. The second item was this. I let them know that their walk with Jesus Christ needed to take on more, they needed to take on more ownership of it. Yes, Don and I were there to support them. Yes, Don and I were there to do whatever we could to answer their questions and things like that. But their walk with Christ was going to begin to develop more. They were going to have questions. They were going to have issues that, that they hadn't addressed before in their lives. One of the reasons why I love what Lorraine does and I love what Adam Matthew does with our students is this, is that they're welcoming these students and they're talking to them about these bigger issues that are rocking students' worlds. I understood that to be true in my life. I understood it to be true as a parent. I understood it that my daughters, Stephanie and Heidi, needed to understand that as well. That their walk with Christ was going to change. And that he was there for them. He was their rock. He was the refuge. But then this other one was the key. Those two things that I had talked to them prior about in that particular discussion were important. But this third one was most important. And it's related to what we're talking about in verse 1 of Psalm 1. About the company we keep. And I told them this. I said that the most important decision you're going to make over the course of the next number of years of your life are the friends that you're going to make. Your friends are either going to help you or they are going to destroy you. There are no two ways about it. I said the friends that you make are going to pursue you, are going to help you become more and more of the person that God has called you to be, or the friends you make are going, to de are going to cause your life to veer off track, and it's going to lead to a lot of pain, a lot of harm, a lot of loneliness, a lot of discouragement, and perhaps even a whole lot of depression. I said your friends are crucial here. They're either going to help you get better in school, or they're going to or they're going to cause harm to you. Over 22 years of doing student ministry, that's what I saw. This common element of, of students that would hang out with great people. And by great people, I don't mean that they were perfect. But they were moving forward. They were realizing who Jesus Christ was and what he wanted to do in their life. They were living for something more than themselves. But I told the girls this. I said, the third thing that we're talking about the company you keep is going to be crucial for you. Because if you make bad decisions about your friends, it's going to hurt you greatly. And the psalmist seems to be saying that very thing here. 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Those are powerful words. And what the psalmist is pointing to is a slow and steady progression of unchecked temptation in one's life leads to great harm and great destruction. Who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. To walk in step with the wicked, what what does that mean? It means this. It means that they begin trying it out. They begin, they begin fooling around or, or, or toying with stuff that, that, that just days, weeks, months, years prior, they would say, I'm never going to do that. But notice what he says, walking in step. In essence, they simply get in line with what's going on around them, and it becomes a mindless march. That's step one. Step two is this. Standing in the way that sinners take. As they walk along, all of a sudden things come to a screeching screeching halt, and instead of them moving away, they stand there and they become accustomed to doing what they thought they would never do. And they just stand there. We're really good at lying to ourselves as we continue down this path of temptation. We're really good at telling ourselves that we can manage sin, that we can manage our temptation. We're really good at that. Many of us sit there and we don't realize where we're going. And when we come to this place of standing in the way that sinners take, We've surrounded ourselves with people that are no longer going to correct our path. And then he says this, or sit in the company of mockers. It started off as a walk. It came to a stop with a stand. And then it became this. They simply sat down. It became their lifestyle. It became their habit. They knew no different. As you look at your life, as I look at my life, when it comes to these times of temptation, when it comes to these times of whether or not I'm going to continue going down this line of temptation, it is a slow and steady process. And I don't care how old you are, the the formula works for all of us. It starts out with a little dabble here. It then moves to now it's become something that I'm used to and then it becomes something that I'm completely into. All of us struggle with this. The psalmist says, blessed is the one who does not go down that path. Blessed is the one who stays, we pick it up in verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of Yahweh. The reality of temptation and sin is this. Now hear me clearly on this. The reality of temptation and sin is this. It does not care where you end up as long as you end up destroyed. 
Many of you know that every Wednesday I go down to prison and I interact with these, with, with these, with these men who've been in prison for quite a while. And the other day I was interacting with one of them and his name's going to remain nameless. And we were talking about just what brought him to this place where he's in prison. And he said, he said, Pastor John, it was something that I did not see coming until it was too late. And he told me a story. This man was drafted in the late 90s by an NFL team. This man, if I were to tell you his name, you could look him up at NFL.com and he even has a little entry there about what he did while he was in the NFL. This man was a running back in the NFL. He averaged seven yards a carry. But in early 2000, he took that step. He began walking in the steps with the wicked. And then he began standing in the way that sinners stand. And then he sat in the company of mockers. In early 2000, he was sentenced to 205 years in prison. I share that with you because this man told me that day, just this past week, he said, I never thought I'd be here. But every person can get there. He had it all. And step by step, he lost everything. And we can wallow in that and we can be depressed by that. But one of the great things that we come to see in the Psalms is that the Psalms always provide what I call the point of pivot. They provide a place where a turn can happen. They provide a place where all of a sudden you no longer have to go down this path, but you can pivot and go a different direction. That's the type of God that we have. He doesn't sit there and say, well, you're too far gone. He says, I continue to love you. I continue to care for you. Pivot and walk with me. Because we pick it up in verse 2. But whose delight is in the law of Yahweh and who meditate on his law day and night. They delight in the law of Yahweh. To delight in something means this, is that there needs to be interaction. It's impossible to delight in anything when there is no interaction. It's just impossible. Part of the reason why I delight in sports so much is because I interact with sports all the time. You guys know that. The very things that you take delight in aren't things that aren't important to you. The very things that you take delight in are things that you're interacting with. For some of you, you take delight in cooking, and I've tasted your food. It's fantastic. I can tell how much you delight in it. For some of you, you take delight in knowing and philosophy and, and other things like that. It's your passion. It comes out of you. It's impossible to take delight in anything where there's no interaction. And so my question to you is this. Are you delighting in interacting with the Lord? Are you delighting in the one that takes care of you? Are you delighting in the one who, in interacting with the one, who's there for you? 
but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and then the psalmist backs it up and says, and who meditates on his law day and night. Meditation, meditating on what God is all about. Meditation always involves marination. And that can be put on a t-shirt. Marination takes time. Marination isn't something that just happens instantly. It takes time for, that, for, that, for those flavors to sink in. We want microwave Christianity, meaning, Lord, I'm going to give you two minutes and I expect to have an incredibly intimate relationship with you. But as we read God's word, God's word is about crockpot Christianity, where we marinate and we saturate what it is that he has for us. Every now and then we have a crockpot meal at our house. And Don doesn't give me any, any tip off that that's what we're going to do that night. And so I leave and then I come back at about four or five in the afternoon and our house is permeated with this smell. And I get hungry very quickly. Why? Because it's been marinating. It's been taking time. It's, it's, it's slow. And as it seeps in, those flavors get in there and, it, and it, the aroma fills the room. Right? If we were to go over into the gym right now, I'm sure there are plenty of smells going on over there right now. Hopefully they're pleasant smells, by the way. But my point is this. Marination, meditating on who God is, isn't a crockpot experience. It's sitting with him. It's getting to know him. It's getting to understand him. It's understanding what it is all about and following him. Would you define your relationship with God as a microwave or a crockpot? It takes time. It takes time. And I think it's incredibly important to notice the first word in verse 2 where he talks about but. To take time is not something that everybody's going to sign up for. But it changes the course of your life. And then they continue on, and the psalmist says this, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. In the ancient world, a tree was a symbol of divine blessing. You see it in Genesis chapter 2, you see it in Ezekiel, you see it in Isaiah 11, you see it all over the Old Testament. But in ancient time, a tree meant there was a divine blessing going on. And the psalmist understands that and says, when you meditate, when you, and by meditation it means sitting with him and, and interacting with his word and, and listening to him and praying to him, it's, it's all part of that. It's, it's walking through the day with him. And as we enjoy that, all of a sudden, we become like a tree planted by streams of water. Israel doesn't have a whole lot of water. And that's why where there is water, there are these cities and, and there are these green trees. And you, you see the beauty of what this water can do. And we know that. We live in the agricultural center of the world. It's green all over the place when those crops are coming to fruition. 
Water is essential. And what he's saying here is you need to be watered. You need to be cared for. And the interesting thing here is that where it says it like a tree planted by streams of water, the word that we translate planted is actually the word transplanted. There's a tendency for us to think that we can be righteous on our own, that we don't need an outside force having any influence on our lives. But what the psalmist is saying is this, is that we need the Lord's grace to transform us, not because of our righteousness that we think we have, but we need to be transformed by his grace so that we can then live fully for him. A bunch of rules doesn't change us. A bunch of I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that doesn't change us. All it does is it makes us self-righteous and leads us away from our need for the Lord. We are to be transplanted. We are to be transformed by his work in our lives. And it's available all the time. And without water, things die. Without water, they become chaff. which yields its fruit to the trees. We're back to the tree. It yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prosper. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Tree versus chaff. The tree always wins. A chaff just gets blown away. Are you, are you being transformed by the water? We love to blame other people. We enjoy it. We, we find it because when we blame other people, we don't take responsibility for ourselves. But I want us to circle back to verse 1 and the opening phrase. Blessed is the one. doesn't say blessed is all these people. It says blessed is the one. We go back to the one. And it's almost as if the psalmist says, this is for you, this is for you, this is for you, this is for you, this is for me. The joy of finger pointing, it's all the time. Go to any social media place, turn on any news channel, listen to talk radio. It's everybody else's fault except our fault. We love to blame the president for this. We love to blame Congress for that. We love to blame taxes for this. We love to blame this person for that. But here's a cold splash of reality that the psalmist provides us. And the cold splash of reality is this. More often than not, the problem starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with each one of us. I can blame my dad for a whole lot of things in my life. I really can. But yet God said to me, John, enough of the blaming. I'm here. I'm here. You need to take responsibility for your life. 
And I don't think I'm the only one that's done that, that's blamed other people. And the psalmist is saying, blessed is the one. The problem oftentimes starts with us, but here's what's great about it. The solution also starts with us. Renewal starts with us. I'm beginning to have different conversations with people in this congregation who say, when are things going to pick up? When are, things, when are we going to see more people coming to church? When are we going to see more people come to know Jesus Christ? And my response is, when you and I make a decision that we ourselves are going to be renewed, that's when it will start. It's real easy to point the finger. It really is. But renewal starts with us. When we say, Lord, begin with me, things change. Renewal happens. Renewal happens, and when renewal happens in our lives, it begins to spread to other people's lives. How many people have you been blaming for your own lack of renewal? The psalmist would say, you need to take a look at your own life. And then the psalmist says this in verse 6, and here's why we can be renewed. The psalmist says this, For Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. We talked earlier about the destruction. We talked earlier about the progression that people can take and how slow and steady it can lead to destruction. But the other thing that we, didn't, that we haven't talked about, which we're now going to talk about, is this, is that God says, I'm here. When you pivot your life, I'm here, and I'm more than happy to take care of you. Notice what he says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. You will never be alone. Because it's not easy. But he's big enough, he's strong enough, he's powerful enough to take care of you. I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 7 and listen to these words. It says this, we pick it up in verse 37 of, of John 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? The psalmist tells us in Psalm 1 that when we meditate on God's word, when we take delight in interacting with him, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Jesus Christ provides that stream. Jesus Christ provides that refreshment. Jesus Christ provides that restoration. Jesus Christ provides that renewal. Jesus Christ is the one who did not walk in step with the wicked, who did not stand in the way that sinners take, and who did not sit in the company of mockers. He was mocked. He was insulted. He was surrounded by wickedness. And yet he is the one who did not fall. He is the one who in the midst of our lives of wondering where we're heading, he is the one who says, 
I will lead you to life. So I ask you now, where are you heading? Where are you taking steps in your life? Are you taking steps that are destroying you? Or are you taking steps that are informed and, 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 and infused with God's grace in Jesus Christ? Wherever you are in life right now, Jesus Christ says, I can give you the living water that you desperately need. And so where are you heading? He's the one that will take care of you. He's the one that won't let you down. And he's the one who will watch over you as you walk with him. My hope, my prayer for all of us is that we will take steps with Jesus Christ. Meditate, marinate on who he is and allow that to infuse our lives and to inform our lives and to revive our lives. May that be true for First Baptist Church of Salinas. Father, we pray as we think of these words, as we reflect on these words, we would ask that you would open us up to the place where we realize that where we're heading is not a good place if we're deciding to go against you. And Lord, I believe this to be true in this room that there are plenty of us that are unaware of where we're heading and we think we can manage it. And I'm asking you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to intercept our lives. Intercept our lives in such a way that we would take great delight in interacting with you. And knowing that you take great delight in interacting with us. Lord, your word says that you long for no one to perish, but for everyone to come to know you and have eternal life. So Lord, I pray that you'd intercept our lives, that you would cause us to pivot and enjoy you. Help us, Father by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as the band comes up now, what I want us to do is something a little different now. I want us to take some time, as the band gets ready, I want us all to bow our heads, and I want us to be quiet, and yeah, there'll probably be some squeaking or something like that that happens, but as that the reason why I want us to be quiet is to ready ourselves to sing these next songs. These songs that will perhaps convict us, these songs that will perhaps remind us of what we've just read in the Psalms. And as the music begins, I then invite us to stand and sing out with great zest these songs that we offer up to the Lord. So take some time right now. Bow your heads in silence.